Sunday is Mother's Day, and so I'm going to be talking about Mother's Day next Sunday, but for the rest of May, and uh, I'm going to be doing this sermon series that I'm calling uh, Chapters 1.5. Isn't that just an intriguing title? Aren't you, yeah, don't you just, aren't you kind of like, ooh, what's that about? Well, I'll tell you. Okay, um, and so there's, uh, now keep up with me here. Um, there's only three books in the Bible that have one chapter. Technically, there's five, but I'm going to say there's three. Now, the reason I say technically there's five is because uh, there's first, second, and third John, but and second and third John only have one chapter each in them. But because it's first, second, and third John, I lump it all together and I say that one's John and it's got more chapters in it. But there's 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 three other books. There's the book of Jude has one chapter. Uh, the book of Philemon has one chapter, and the book of Obadiah has one chapter. And then uh, you know all of the books of the Bible that have two chapters, right? That's the book of Haggai. There's only one book in the Bible that's got two chapters, and that's Haggai. And it is way too exhausting to actually preach out of two chapters of the Bible. So when we get to Haggai, I'm only going to preach out of chapter one of Haggai. That's the point five. You get it? One point five. So I'm going to be doing the ones and then the point five of Haggai, and that'll be at the end of the month. And if I still work here, as you guys look at me. <laughs> and so, um, and so, uh, uh, so today it's Jude, and then next week Philemon, or two weeks Philemon, and then Obadiah, and then Haggai. And so uh, now you guys are going, Oba, what? <laughs> Who's Haggai, huh? That's a Bible book? Yep, it is. So you can look those up, and you can read through those. And so that's the sermon series that I'm, I'm going to be um, uh, kind of jumping into, okay? And so today it's Jude. And uh, who is Jude? That's a great question. Who's Jude? Uh, Jude is Jesus' half-brother. Okay, uh, we know that uh, Mary and Joseph were engaged to be married, but before they were married, uh, the Holy Spirit descends upon Mary, and she has an immaculate conception. And so uh, Mary is Jesus' biological mother, but his biological father is God in heaven, because Jesus was born, conceived of an immaculate conception. If you have a problem with that, uh, then, you know, you got to jump all the way to Genesis chapter 1, uh, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And all he did is spoke, and everything came into existence. And so if God can handle that, then, then an immaculate conception's not a big thing for God, right? And so, but uh, then Mary and Joseph, they get married, and they have Mary and Joseph have other children. And uh, Jesus, according to Scripture, has got about four other brothers. And uh, one of his, his half-brothers, um, they share Mary as their mom together, is a guy named Jude. Now, none of Jesus' brothers believe that Jesus was the Messiah. Uh, you know, they grew up with him, you know, and, and, you know, they probably have funny memories from when they were little kids and, you know, doing knuckleheaded things that kids would do and things like that. And Jesus didn't start his ministry until he was 30 years old. And so they didn't believe, they didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah until after the death the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. They were so convinced that Jesus raised from the dead that no longer did Jude refer to Jesus as Jesus or his half-brother or, or any of those kind of things and call him by name. He, from that point on, only referred to him as my Lord. This guy who was my half 
He is my Lord. He knew that Jesus Christ was the Son of the living God. And, you know, probably when they were, when they were kids, maybe, maybe Mary told the brothers, you know, well, he's different than you guys. He's, you know, God's is that. Oh, yeah, Mom, right. You know, but, uh, and so they didn't believe him until after the resurrection. They were completely convinced. So that's the guy. This is Jude. This is Jude. He's the guy that's writing this letter. Okay? And then who is Jude writing to? He's writing to churches. He's writing to churches. And uh, the church was in its early stage. Jesus had just ascended into heaven. And the church of Jesus Christ began to grow and start and spread. He's writing specifically to some broken, dysfunctional churches. And look around <laughs> and ask yourself, are they, are they talking to us, right? And so he's writing to some broken, dysfunctional churches. That's who, that's who Jude is writing to. And, uh, and he's writing, and he's actually covering this sin, and it is the sin of apostasy. Apostasy. And look around and say, there might be others. that. And so what is that? And just simply, uh, that is churches that are moving farther away from God. They were guilty of apostasy, moving farther away from the truth of Scripture, and so uh, Jude, he uh, uh, Jude, the half brother, uh, writes one of these one book books, one chapter books, and uh, he's writing to these dysfunctional church. Now, already you're overwhelmed, and you, there's a lot of information there, and so you're all ready to play Bible trivia like you've never been ready before. But uh, before we go any further, I'm just going to ask that you will bow your heads. Let's pray together. And then we're going to jump into the book of Jude. Okay, let's pray. Uh, Father God, uh, you love us. You care about us. You are interested in us. Uh, you know that Jude wrote this uh, inspired by your Holy Spirit to communicate your truth to us even today. So we ask again this morning that you would help us to forget everything that takes place this morning except for exactly what you want us to learn. We ask it in Jesus' name, and amen. Um, this church had a tradition for a while. There were some uh, Bible college professors from Lincoln Christian University that came, and uh, they preached here for a while in between uh, pastors. And maybe some of you guys know uh, Dr. Bob Saget. Anybody, anybody from any guys know? Uh, he was a professor at Lincoln uh, Christian College, and he tells us great story. Uh, he used to go around and help help churches, and um, uh, and and he tells us this true story. Uh, there was a church. They hired a new pastor. And uh, one day, uh, early on, this new pastor was there, and, and uh, the new pastor, he makes his way to the local ice cream shop, and he goes up to the counter, and he orders an ice cream cone, and he, he leaves there, and he goes outside, and, and he sits down at one of the picnic tables that were outside the ice cream shop, and he, he eats that ice cream cone, and, and uh, he throws away his a napkin in a trash can, gets in the car, and drives away. Unbeknownst to him, one of the church members was there and was very upset, and literally called the leadership of the church. And the elders of the church called in the board and the deacons together, and they had to have a meeting all together. The leadership had to meet, and then this person that had observed, this new pastor that came to their town, had to listen as that person explained why this person is not fit to be the pastor of our church, because when he got his ice cream cone, went outside, and sat down at the table, he did not bow his head and say a prayer of thanks before he began to eat his ice cream cone. 
Well, the leadership had to deal with this urgent problem. And so what they did after they met uh, for a long time, and I literally wrote it into the policy of the church, uh, they said, well, from this point on, let it be known. It's okay what this new pastor did, because they made a policy. If, in fact, someone purchases uh, something to eat that costs $1.97 or less, it should be considered a snack. And one need not say a prayer before they have a snack, but if they were to purchase a meal that costs more than $1.97, then one should bow their head and pray for the meal that they are about to partake of. True story. Friends, that is a broken, broken church. That church is broken because if that person that had observed the, the new pastor uh, had an issue with that uh, new pastor, he should have just went up and said, hey, brother, uh, what's going on? Let me, let me buy that ice cream. Let me buy you another one. Let's talk about uh, what happened. And, you know, when should a person pray? And what is our, our role and our, you know, and where's grace fit into all of that? And then when the leadership of the church heard about this, uh, the first thing that they should have said to that person is, well, did you go and talk to him yet? You know, and if they didn't, then they shouldn't. And so, just a messy, ugly thing. Here's the reality. In America today, the church can do and believe about anything that it wants and still sort of take a stand that we are a good Christian church. The reality is, is that churches will do whatever they might want. But that does not make them in good standing with God the Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. Uh, we know that today, churches can be very broken. Uh, they can, uh, we can, we a, a broken church. Uh, uh, there's a church down in, uh, it's in Kansas, and it's a Baptist church. And, and uh, you know that some churches today, you've seen it on the news, will encourage their people uh, to go out to a rally and hold up a sign that says, God hates fags. You've seen that on the news, if you've been paying attention at all. Uh, we know that other churches uh, will uh, hire and ordain uh, their homosexual or their lesbian pastor to be the leader of their church. And so uh, that's a very broad spectrum. And so where does Scripture come down on that? Today in America, churches are all over the spectrum on many, many different issues. And what does the Bible say about these things? Because the only thing that we want to pay any attention to is what the Bible says uh, through the Holy Spirit inspired Word of God and the teachings that it has. And we want to adhere to what Scripture says. But today, churches can be all over the place. And so Jude is writing this one chapter book to some dysfunctional churches. And listen what he has to say. We're going to start in verse 3. Verse 1 and 2, you can read it there if you've got your Bible open. It, it just simply, it kind of introduces Jude and says that he writes and wants grace and peace to everyone. And he says this in verse 3. <clears throat> Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share. Stop. Oh man, I just wish that I could have written to you about the fact that we are all on the same page. Jesus is our King. He is our God. He is our Lord. All I wanted to do was write to you about the salvation that we share. But 
Because we've got some things not in common from my uh, biblical perspective and understanding and your understanding, because those things we don't have uh, them in common. He says, I felt I had to write to you and urge you to contend for the faith. Say, contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. For certain men whose whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who change the grace of God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus Christ, our only sovereign and Lord. He's writing to a broken church. And he said, hey, broken church, you need to understand that there are some people that are making their way into the church that no longer believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. They no longer want to adhere to Him. They're bringing their own worldly ideas into the church, and the church is broken. But I want you to be a people that will contend for the faith. Two camps, contenders and broken Contenders and broken. I don't know what you think of when you think of a contender, but here's a picture of what I think of when I think of a contender. Any UFC lovers out there? Anybody, anybody, have you ever been in the ring? Any fighters out there? And so, oh, okay. Um, and so boxing, do you, anybody watch boxing? Um, okay, boxers over here. Uh, WWE, you ever been, you ever, you ever seen WWE? Okay, um, oh boy, here we go. UFC fighting, if you don't like that, you don't like bloody stuff. That's all I got to say. Maybe you don't like, maybe it's too violent for you. My wife won't watch that stuff, okay? But I, you know, secretly, I like to go there and and I like that. I like that. But if you've ever watched UFC, what do they do? These guys, they go into the cage, right? And they close the door behind them. And, uh, you know, one guy doesn't just kind of duck and cover and run around the ring uh, while the other guy's trying to chase him down and get him, right? That's not the way it works. What takes place in a UFC match, right? They fight. They fight. They fight. They, they, they look at the other guy like you are my enemy. And so the goal is I'm going to knock you out or you're going to submit. I'm going to knock you out or you're going to submit. And that's the way they tackle their opponent. They go after him. They don't hold back. They don't hold back at all. They contend for the thing. They want to be the winner. They go after him, right? And so I believe that when Jude is saying, church, contend for the faith. There are people all around that are trying to bring in false doctrine into the church. Contend. Fight for it. Stand up for it. Go after them. Go get it. So be contenders. So we're starting a UFC training competition. No, just none of them. He goes on. Here's what he does. Here's what Jude does. Uh, Jude helps us out uh, because he gives us three warnings. Three warnings. He says, if you think this is a game, you think this is, I'm taking this lightly? He says, you pay attention. You're either going to be a broken church or you're going to be contenders. And if you think I'm joking about this, he says, watch this. And then he gives three warnings against being a broken person in the church. Not what I mean when I say that. Let me back up. We're all broken. But anybody that's trying to advance an agenda that would steer away from Jesus is, no, no, don't be that guy. Don't be that guy or that gal. Three warnings against being a broken church. Here we go. First warning. Verse 5. 
though you already know this. Now, there, how can he say you already know this? The church that he, churches that he is writing to, uh, they used, most of them used to be Jews. They grew up in, in, the, in the Jewish tradition, and they understand a lot of the Old Testament history. And, but now they're learning new things that Jesus wants to, to do it a different way. He says, though you already know this, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt. But later destroyed those who did not believe. Later destroyed those who did not believe. You know the story. You know the story. Uh, You know that the nation of Israel was enslaved in Egypt. God sent Moses to them to lead them out of Egypt through uh, the Red Sea and across the wilderness and took them over to the Jordan River and he was going to give them the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And so uh, the nation of Israel came together and said, uh, before we go where God wants us to go, we've got a great idea. We're going to send 12 spies across the Jordan River and into the promised land that God wants us to have, and we're going to go scope it out to see if we can actually take the land. It really doesn't matter that God has told us, I want you to have this land. We're going to go find out for ourselves if we can have this land. And maybe you remember a little song that you learned by way back when you were in kids' church. You know, uh, 12 men went to spy on Canaan. 10 were bad and 2 were good. Maybe you remember, maybe you learned the story. And so here's what happened. They sent 12 spies over into the land, the promised land, right? And uh, they came back to give a report to the nation of Israel. And ten of the spies that went in said, we cannot get in there. There are giants that are in there. And uh, uh, they, we, if we try to go in there, that we will be defeated and we'll have to run back to Egypt with our tail between our legs. It'll be a disaster if we try to go in there. But there were two guys, Joshua and Caleb. And they went back to the nation of Israel and they said, oh yeah, it's a great place to be. And if God wants us to have it, He will give it to us. And we need to go and we need to take it. We need to tackle it. We need to be there right now. Well, the ten won the argument. And so because they didn't, everyone that was old enough to believe, everyone that was over the age of twelve, they wandered around in that wilderness until they were all dead. The only people that got to go in. Joshua and Caleb and those that were under the age of 12 years old grew up and made their way into the promised land. So he wasn't messing around. You either do what God tells you to do and be the kind of person God wants you to be. They were destroyed. They were destroyed. He goes on, he says, all right, example number two, example number two, warning number two, verse six. And the angels who did not keep their possessions, positions, (laughs) there we go, I can read that kind of, um, and the angels who did not keep their uh, positions of authority but abandoned their own home. And so uh, there's a uh, there's a book. It's a non-biblical uh, book it's called the Book of Enoch. It's got Old Testament history stories in it and traditions. And then um, and then in, in the Old Testament there are also stories of the angels that were in heaven. And then also uh, later on in the verses eight, nine, and ten, um, uh, Jude refers to this this thing that takes place in the heavens. In the heavens, in the heavens, about the angels that were there. And uh, uh, there were angels in heaven that led a rebellion, led by Satan. They led a rebellion against God. And they said, we no longer uh, want to submit and do things the way that you want us to do. And Scripture tells us that God even sent the angels out of there and that they would face eternal damnation and fire. And he says he's going to send them out of there too. Here's the point. 
And whether it's the people on earth or it's the people in the heavens, uh, you don't mess with God. If God says, this is what I want you to do, this is the best way for you to live, God does that because he loves us and we do well to say, okay, God, uh, I, but I, I want to just kind of introduce some other things into my life that are outside of your will for me. God says, no, 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 no. My way is always best. I love you more than you can even begin to understand. He gives another warning. Verse 7, he says, In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who suffer the punishment of eternal fire. Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, you remember that they were involved in sexual activity uh, that was not uh, pleasing to God. And apparently when Jude is writing this letter to the church, uh, there were people that were trying to introduce sexual activity into the church that was not pleasing to God. And so he's warning them. He says, it's going to, you're going to have the same fate as they did. Uh, they, they were destroyed. You'll be destroyed. Now listen. Jude could have written this church and said, Church, I just want you to know that uh, God's got laws against doing bad things and remember those laws. Okay? But he didn't say that. Uh, Jude said, here's an example of people doing things that were against God and God destroyed them. Here's an example of angels who did things God did not want them to do and God removed them. Here's an example of people engaging in activity that God did not want them to engage in, and He destroyed them. I'm giving you an example, I'm giving you an example, and I'm giving you an example. It's not just because I say so, it's because God has a track record of if I say it, I mean it. Gave him examples. Then Jude does us all a favor. He goes on to list nine, nine different kinds of people. Nine different kinds of people that you don't want to be like or have in your church. Nine different kinds of people you don't want to be like or have in your church. And here's the list that he does. All right, there we go. Verse 11. Woe to them. Say, woe to them. Woe to them that have taken the way of Cain. They have rushed into, or they have rushed for profit into Balaam's error. And so you got that list there in your bulletin. You can write down Cain. You can write down Balaam's error. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. In Korah's rebellion. So we don't want to be like them, do we? Oh, no. Nobody wants to be like Korah. Uh-uh. Do you? Tell me. Raise your hand if you want to be like Korah. Who, who's Korah? Oh, yeah, I don't know either. Okay, uh, Cain, Cain, right? Cain says, don't be like Cain. What was the deal with Cain? Remember, God creates the heavens and the earth, and He puts Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, and He says to them, be fruitful and multiply. And so we know that Adam and Eve have, uh, their first two sons are Cain and Abel, and we know that Cain killed Abel. We read about it in the book of Genesis. Cain killed Abel. Why did Cain kill Abel? All Abel wanted to do was present a sacrifice to God that was pleasing to him. All Abel wanted to do was present something to God. Say, God, I want to please you. I want to please you. I want to please you. But Cain was jealous of Abel's relationship that he had with God. And so when he says, I want to give you nine examples of people you don't want to be like in the church, this whole idea of jealousy in the church. Sometimes people come to church and 
I say, man, you know, I wish I could play the guitar like Mike. Or I could play the keyboard like, uh, like Ellie plays the keyboard or something like that. Or, you know, I could sing like Steve. No, they never say that. They never say that. They say, they can sing like, you know, you want to be able to uh, sing like Laura. You, you want these kind of gifts. Or maybe you've been in, a, uh, you've heard a Sunday school teacher that they just have uh, scripture just kind of flows out of them. It's kind of like uh, sitting around with Roger Curry. You know, scripture just kind of can flow out of them. And, and so maybe you can get uh, jealous of those things. Or you see other people uh, in the church and they're able to do things and you can't do them. And, and so there's no place for, you don't need to be jealous in the church. Don't be like Cain. You think somebody else has spiritual gifts? God has given you spiritual gifts too. Explore them. Find them. Find out what you are good at. Ask somebody. Say, what, what kind of things do you see me excelling at? And maybe that's what God wants you to use in his church. Don't, don't be like Cain. And then, and remember he says, don't be like, don't, and it says, oh, those people. Those people that fell into Balaam's error. Ooh, you don't want to do that one, do you? You remember Balaam's error? Yeah, okay. Here we go. Uh, in, in the book of Numbers, chapter 22, Balaam's error. In the book of Numbers, uh, Balaam was a prophet. Balaam was a prophet. And uh, the Moabites, they, they, uh, they were the enemies of the nation of Israel. And, and, uh, and so uh, Balaam was one of God's uh, good guys, right? Supposed to be. Supposed to be one. He's supposed to be a prophet. But he starts to kind of get himself tangled up with the Moabites. And he start, they start asking him to, to do things on, on their behalf. And, and God's like, no, no, you're my prophet. The nation of Israel's prophet. You're not uh, the Moabite's prophet. And so uh, he kind of gets himself in trouble. And so uh, Bala, uh, Balaam gets on his donkey and he starts to head towards the Moabites. And as he's on the donkey and starting to go down this path, the path narrows and the donkey kind of pushes old Balaam over and starts to scrape his leg up against the wall of this canyon. And he doesn't like that. And so Balaam's beating on his donkey, right? And he goes a little bit further and all of a sudden the donkey comes to a complete stop. And so he's just beating on the donkey and beating on the donkey and beating on the donkey. And then um, Scripture says that God empowered Balaam's donkey to speak. And this donkey turns right back around and looks at Balaam and says, What are you beating me for? Haven't I always done exactly what you want? Can't you see what's going on here? And then God allowed Balaam's eyes to be opened. And there was an angel with a sword standing in the middle of the path, communicating very clearly, God does not want you going in this direction. You're moving away from the direction that God wants you to go. Turn around and go back and get right with God. You don't want to be guilty of falling for Balaam's error. Balaam could not see the working hand of God in front of him. Sometimes that happens. Sometimes jealous people in the church can't see the working hand of God. They, uh, sometimes churches get together and, and, you know, well, we've never done it that way before. We can't start that kind of ministry. You know, who in the world in their right mind would think about putting a UFC cage out in the parking lot and then starting a UFC ministry? Oh, wait, okay. And, you know, and then all of a sudden you go, no, we can't do anything like that. How could we possibly reach those people for, you know, and, but people think outside the box and then other people start saying, well, you know, can, you know, should we know? And, and those things. Maybe God wants to do a movement through His church and His people in a new way. And some people shut that down. That happens in churches. We don't want to be like that. We want to be open and receptive to God's leading if there are things that we are to be doing for His king. Oh, Korah's rebellion. Do you remember that one? Ooh. And this one, you know, you don't want to do, you don't want to do what Korah did. Uh-uh. Uh, you remember Korah's rebellion, right? Oh, 
Okay, here we go. Beep, beep, beep. We'll back it up. And, um, and so the nation of Israel, uh, they had to wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. Wander around in the wilderness for 40 years. And uh, they didn't like that. Who would, right? And um, uh, they were listening to Moses, and Moses was leading them. But Korah, Korah said, you know, I'm going to go find 250 people, and um, we're going to go approach Moses, and we're going to tell Moses, uh, Moses, we don't think that God is leading through you anymore. We're not convinced you are still communicating with God anymore. I think his hand is, of, of leadership is off of you. And so uh, uh, we're not going to pay any attention to you anymore. And, uh, and so we, we wanna, we're going to lead. We're going to be the leaders from now on. And Moses says, okay, 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 I get it. I understand. You don't like what's going on here. He says, uh, so let, let, let's work this out. He says, tomorrow, you can read about it. Read, Numbers chapter 16. You can read this story. It's a great story. And um, he says, tomorrow what we're going to do is, um, why, don't we, why don't we have a little prayer meeting tomorrow morning? So he says, you all go out there and get your 250 people, and we're going to meet tomorrow morning. Um, before we meet, I want you and, and all 250, I want you to get all your families, and I want you to get your tents, and I want you to, we're all going to gather right out uh, kind of in your neighborhood out here in the wilderness, and you guys are all going to be here. You guys are going to be here. And uh, so the next morning they all met. He said, you want you guys go ahead and fire up some incense out there and, you know, we'll make sure that God's paying attention and things like that. And, and he says, now before we get this meeting started, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray. Okay? And then Moses prays his prayer. Dear God, if you want these 250 people and uh, following Korah, if you want them to be the leaders of the nation of Israel while we are here, then God... Allow them to live long lives and have prosperous long lives. But God, if you do not want them to be the leaders of your people here, then in a new way, remove them. And then he says, Amen. No longer, well, I don't know if he says amen. doesn't say he said amen, but we conclude our prayers. And he concludes his prayer. And no sooner does he conclude his prayer, the earth opens up. And Korah and the 250 and their families and their tents and everything that had anything to do with them just fall into this giant hole in the ground, and the ground folds back up over the top of it, and there's nothing there but a big sandbox. Gone. All of them. Out. Now, you, you don't want to fall in the way of Korah. Don't follow ungodly leaders. What's that mean? Sometimes we... Uh, uh, we'll, we'll look on, you know, social media or something. You'll, you'll, you'll see something that looks really good and spiritual. And who, who wrote that? Who said that? I have no idea, but it sounds good. Uh, there's a lot of false doctrine that gets kind of thrown around, you know. Uh, one of them, just as an example, is uh, 
Uh, God works all things together for those who love Him, right? And, and people, uh, people that are a long way away from God will say something like that, and they will say to themselves, well, I must be in this situation because this is just a part of God's plan. No, the reason that you're probably way off, far away from God, and in that horrible situation is because you, uh, you ran through a lot of red lights, and you broke through a lot of barriers that God never wanted you to go through in the first place. And so you, you don't end up in that horrible situation, and God didn't put you there so that he can bring you back to here. A lot of times we get in those bad situations because of things that we did. We did. We made those choices and those mistakes. Now, can God take anyone from where they are and bring them to him? Yes. Yes, he can. But God didn't do that to you so that he can use that in you. A lot of times there's sin, and it's simply because there is sin, and we are tempted. So, don't fall for ungodly leadership. Don't listen to false teachings that are out there. Make sure that what we listen to gets bounced off of Scripture. And, that, and so, okay, here we go. He continues. Now, that was, only, that was only the first three, and there's nine. So I hope you guys don't have a roast in the oven. <clears throat> Burn the meat. Here we go. Now, we'll go through these a little quicker. All right, here we go. Verse 12. He's got, he's got four more of the nine that we don't want to be like. All right? We're learning together, right? Okay, good. Here we go. Verse 12. He says, uh, these men are blemishes. Okay, so that's another one right down. Don't want to be a blemisher, right? Uh, at your love feasts. He says, eating with you without the slightest qualm. And then he says, here's another one. You don't want to be like these guys. Uh, shepherds who feed only themselves. Don't want to be like that. Then write this one down. He says, uh, they are clouds without rain. Don't want to be that one. Uh, blown along by the wind. He says, Autumn trees without fruit and uprooted. They are twice dead. What's that mean? Blemished at love feasts. Uh, there was a sexual immorality that was being introduced to the church. Sexual immorality. And now here's the thing. Um, the reality is, is that uh, in the time that Jude was writing this, in, the, in that first century, uh, there were a lot of churches that were very confused about what is right and what is wrong. Uh, there were a lot of fertility religions that were very prevalent in the culture at the time. And so they had uh, these giant houses of prostitution, and they were uh, fertility gods that you would go into a house of prostitution, you engage in sexual activity, and that makes an erotic display for the gods and then their fertility would fall onto the ground and they and so uh, sexual immorality was run it ran rampant through the culture and it was also considered a religious to be a part of that culture and so it it doesn't it's not far fetched for a church to all of a sudden sort of have people saying well you know in the old religion I was a part of that was a kind of a thing and and can that be a part of this religion you know there, uh, there's a, an evangelistic approach right let's just put a red light outside here and you know what and so Nobody's with me on that one. Okay, so, uh, um, but you, so it was not uncommon for that to sort of be in the culture and to have that conversation. And so, what he says is, no, 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 that cannot be a part. Here's the here's the reality: um, uh, sexual immorality. It's it's in our culture today, and it's rampant. And and here's the reality: is that um, today in our culture and the uh, LGBTQ community. Uh, has a very uh, loud, strong, powerful voice in our community, and the uh, uh, the the media uh, supports and promotes their uh, agenda. And but here's here's what's here's the thing about that 
is that when God created mankind, when God made our biology, um, uh, there are biologically there are only males and females. I don't know if you're watching the news this morning, and I don't want to go too far off into the weeds, but um, uh, Caitlyn Jenner, Caitlyn Jenner is running uh, to be the governor of California. And there was an interview uh, that they did, just a real quick interview. And um, initially, uh, Caitlyn Jenner came out and was asked the question, should uh, transgendered males, biological males that transition to being females, should they be able to, in high school, should they be able to uh, participate in the girls' sports teams? And for for many years, Caitlyn Jenner has said, uh, yes, Kids that are born biologically male, when they're in high school, if they want to transition to be a female, they should be able to uh, run, you know, so that a boy born biologically a boy should be able to run on the girls' track team, if, if so desired. But there was a controversy because they interviewed him just again this last week, and he has reversed his position. And so in the media, uh, the, the media loves it when politicians reverse their position because then they do the big gotcha story kind of, kind of a thing, right? They, they kind of like that kind of stuff. But here's, here's, I say all of this to say this. The Bible says that God first created man, and he gave man a certain biological reproductive system. And then he created female, and he gave them a, a reproductive system. And that it requires both of them to create life. And that uh, statistically, all of the psychological uh, research uh, that has been done uh, says uh, the most successful, productive children in the world are children that are born into a traditional nuclear family that have a mom and a dad and they raise that child and it works and it works and it works. Now here's what we know. Not everyone gets to be born into a family that way, but that is always God's design. That is always God's design. Now, his things kind of move away and, and, and people change, but Scripture never changes. And so we need to understand that the Bible teaches there are men and women and that they are valued in and of themselves. And that that is the only sexual relationship in the context of a marriage that God ordains and says this is healthy and this is right and that this is good. And that beyond that, everything, everything else, sexual immorality. Now listen, you can be heterosexual, you can be married to a loving spouse of the opposite sex, and still be guilty of sexual immorality uh, when our eyes wander and when we're guilty of lustful thoughts. And that's sexual immorality too. And so we don't get to look at any one group of people and say they are more sexually immoral than another group. We all have to conform to be the people that Jesus wants us to be. And the church today needs to communicate lovingly, honestly, that God has a plan and a way to do things, and we do well to do what God wants us to do. All right. Listen up. Blemished in the love feasts. Don't want to be that guy. Shepherds who feed themselves. Shepherds who feed themselves. Ignoring sheep. 
not seeking the lost. We don't want to be a church that only feeds. We get together. We're all good. We need to know there's a community of people that don't know Jesus. We need to do everything that we can uh, to, hey, I got an idea. I want to invite you guys to something. Um, Today's the first or second? Second. So tomorrow's the third, fourth. So Wednesday's the fifth, right? May, uh, Tuesday is May the fourth be with you, right? Star Wars Day. But, uh, but uh, um, Wednesday is Cinco de Mayo. Wednesday is Cinco de Mayo. And the kids club, uh, they're going to be making tacos and they're inviting uh, all of the church and all of the, uh, the parents, they're inviting all of the parents from kids club uh, to come and have a Cinco de Mayo party on Wednesday at 5 p.m. Y'all are invited to come and have tacos here at the church. Say amen. Yeah, there we go. Uh, we want to have tacos, and so uh, come and have tacos Wednesday night. And um, and then uh, the Kids Club kids, are they're actually preparing uh, to do a little something because they want to invite uh, their moms or their grandmas, the moms, that uh, the ladies that are important in their life, uh, they want to invite them to come to church next week, Mother's Day. And uh, the reason that we do those kinds of things is because we want people to come and... We want people to come and be introduced to Jesus Christ through our church, and so we invite people to come and have tacos, and then we come and invite them to be a part of Mother's Day, and so we want to do those kinds of things because we don't want to be a church that just gets together and say, we're good enough, we're it, we got it all together. Okay? We want to reach out. I better get through some of these things. Holy cow, it's getting really late. Um, okay. Where are we at? Shepherds that feed only themselves. What about clouds without rain? Let me say this about clouds without rain. Look good, no substance. Don't be that guy. What about autumn without fruit? Autumn without fruit. Uh, staying busy, looking the part, but no change in your spiritual life. As Christians, we are supposed to produce spiritual fruit. Some people become a Christian, and for 30 years, they have that same exact Christian experience. Other people become a Christian, and they grow more mature, there's more fruit in their life, and it's obvious that they are Christ's followers. And so when he says, autumn without fruit, we want to make sure that we are producing spiritual fruit in our life. We have more love and kindness and gentleness and patience in our life. Verse 13, two more. There's only two more. Say amen. All right, there's only two more. He says, don't be one of these guys, one of these, one of these nine. He says, they are wild waves of the sea. Foaming up their shame. Wandering stars for whom blackest darkness has been reserved forever. What's it mean to be winds and waves? Uh, they cause a ruckus, right? Uh, then it settles down. They cause a ruckus and then it settles down. They're all foaming up. You know, uh, I've been really pleased. I, I don't know. Yeah, I can say this. Okay, yeah, I'll say this. I know we're running out of time. I know it's time to go. But I was so pleased. I was so pleased that when we started Construction Club and when we changed the floor down there in the lobby and when we took down that coat rack and we changed that wall and we said, welcome home on it, um, I never heard a bit of ruckus. I never heard anybody dust it up. I never heard anybody say, well, you know, why are they doing that? Why, why, why are we doing something like that? You know, it, it didn't happen. It was just like, hey, this is good. This is a change and we like it. 
And so, uh, with great fear and trepidation, I want you to know that already built into the budget, we're changing the carpet down that hallway down there. And uh, that, no more, no, you don't want to be that duster upper. You don't want to be that foaming wave. I'll just go right out there and say that now. So when that new carpet goes down in the hallway, you just walk down that hall, you say, oh, isn't God good? Isn't God good? You know, they could not have picked a better color of carpet than this. This is Jude. Jude says this. He says, pay attention. No, but you understand what I'm saying. You, maybe you've heard stories in your life about churches that have literally split over the color of the carpet. Those things happen in a broken church. Let's not have that happen here. Wandering stars. Oh, that's a good one. That's probably my favorite one. Wandering stars. Stars are fixed in the sky. And, uh, you know, for years and years and years and years and years, stars, fixed stars, have been a navigational tool, right? And so, where am I and where am I headed? I can look to the stars and then I can kind of know because they are fixed, right? But a shooting star, what good did that one do me? Oh, I was pretty for a minute, but it didn't help me. Shooting, we are supposed to be a kind of people that we have our eyes fixed on Jesus. And my faith is fixed and strong in Christ. And that other people, if they wanted to know how to live a Christian life, they could look at me because my life is fixed on Jesus. Not a flashing but fixed, to be fixed or be fixed on Christ. Let's conclude. Jump down, verse 17. But dear friends, remember what the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. They said to you in the last times, there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. These are the men who divide you who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the Spirit. They're the ones that say, well, $1.97 and lower, you don't have to pray. $1.97 or above, you got to pray. No. There are people today that will say, you can live your own truth. Whatever feels good to you, you can do. Whatever feels good to you, you can do. But the reality is there's only one truth. There is a God in heaven that created all things. And he has a son. And his name is Jesus. And he sent his son to save us. And we are to put our faith and our trust and our hope in him. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior, you need to know him. You need to connect with him. He needs to be the centerpiece of your life in all that you do. If you don't know how to become a Christian, that's a conversation that I would love to have with you. If you are a Christian, don't be one of the nine. Be a person that follows truth. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus. Help us to live for him. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.